Okay, today I uh, today is March second, twenty twenty one, and I'm starting um, my podcast. This is uh, changed uh, to a new title called Good Times Podcast, and I'm reading uh, the book Shining Like the Sun: A Biblical Theology of Meeting God Face to Face by David Wenkel. So here we start. Um, um let's start forward um forward is in shining like the sun the author succeeds admirably in making a significant contribution to the church again this is good times um podcast and i'm reading shining like the sun uh by david winkle and i'm reading the forward and today is march 2nd 2021 <clears throat> Excuse me. In Shining Like the Sun, the author succeeds admirably in making a significant tra- contribution to the church. Winkle speaks eloquently of the dramatic changes that took place in the lives of those who came into direct contact with God, as expressed in the pages of Old and New Testaments. Those familiar with the biblical stories might naturally think of Jacob, who wrestled with God just before having to face his brother Esau 20 years after he stole stole Esau's blessing. Jacob found himself a changed man. As Winkle points out, Jacob wrestled physically with God in human form, and the person of the Trinity who wrestled that night was Christ in a pre-incarnate appearance. Often termed a Christophany, Jacob found that after you've seen God face to face, you can meet any challenge, even a brother who once wanted to kill you, Beating God changes everything. Wangle traces the biblical history of those who met God face to face, beginning in Genesis with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, but there are many others as well. Noah, Abraham, Hagar, Isaac experienced the same transforming vision. Wangle rightly points out that the angel or messenger of the Lord was none other than Christ. The second person of the triune God was the revealing person in the Old Testament appearance to human individuals just as he is in the New Testament. Winkle devotes an entire chapter to the experience of Jacob at the Jabbok Ravine where he met God. That particular meeting with God was transformational and clearly foundational for all that follows. Jacob's seeing God face to face was the pattern for so many other meetings, and it sets the tone for all that Winkle presents in the succeeding nine chapters. Chapter four and five uncover uncover the theme of meeting God face to face at Sinai in the wilderness wanderings and in the book of Judges. Of course, Moses beheld the messenger of Yahweh when he was called into service by God. Joshua had a similar experience just outside of Jericho, recorded in Joshua 5, 13 to 15. Similarly, Gideon's life was completely changed by his personal experience with Christ when he was threshing a little wheat in a hidden wine press, Judges 6. But Winkle does not stop with the obvious appearance of God to those individuals. He continues with a chapter on the same theme in the Psalms, noting how frequently they mention meeting God, even if not always in a physical sense. From the Psalms, Winkle moves into the time of the exile while Israel corporately had to face God and his covenantal blessings and or curses. Isaiah, Micah, Ezekiel, and Daniel are cited for the exposition of the primary theme in their writings. 
But the highlight of the volume is not Wenkel continues to trace his theme into the life of Christ in the New Testament. Many first century lives were transformed when they met Christ face to face. An entire chapter is then devoted to the transfiguration of Christ. The title of this book, of his book, Shining Like the Sun, A Biblical Theology of Meeting God Face to Face, comes from this supreme event. Winkle completes his writing with two additional chapters, one looking back on the new covenant community, the church, and another looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. In that future time, all who have trusted Christ for eternal life will behold Christ's face throughout eternity. The transformation will have been completed and the results will be permanently manifested. Okay. Introduction. Face to face with God in Scripture. In a fast-paced and technology-filled world, the importance of person-to-person -person interaction has come under question. The ability, the ability to successfully interact with another person is not a skill to be taken for granted. Many experts on human communication have concluded that verbal speech is only one part of the total experience of communication between people. The nonverbal cues and signals from our body can communicate a great deal. One of the primary focal points that the biblical authors used when referring to the body's ability, ability to communicate holiness is the face. The Hebrew word for face is translated as panim or pane. At many key points in salvation history, God's people meet him face to face or experience some feature of his personal presence. Physical and spiritual changes happen as a result of these encounters. Some even had their face glow, reflecting and embodying the holiness of God. The one simple truth that this book focuses on is that those who meet God face to face are changed. There have been some studies on this topic, but they have tended to be narrow in focus or they are limited to content in the Old Testament. There is no exegetical resource that covers this important theme of meeting God face to face across the whole tapestry of both the Old and New Testament. Much of our study of scripture examines the physical change, changes that take place when people meet God face to face. The study does not seek to minimize the internal or spiritual change needed for a relationship with God. On the contrary, this internal spiritual change is characterized throughout scripture in a host of different images, such as the circumcision of the heart or being born again. By the end of the book, we, we see how the process of revelation in Scripture brings clarity to the truth that all of God's people will one day be glorified with Him, changed internally and externally for eternity. So what this book seeks to do is identify and describe the state of those who meet God face to face in a way that follows the contours of salvation history. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel comes to know God, Yahweh, I am who I am, this name, Yahweh, is understood by Israel to be God's special covenant name. I hope this volume will enable readers to grow in their own holiness as they consider how the various strands of this theme are woven together. In the contemporary world, the ubiquitous presence of smartphones with advanced video and camera capabilities has rendered the need for literal face-to-face -face meetings obsolete, or so we think. Technolog technological tools such as smartphones are simply tools that can be used for good or ill. In contrast to the hiddenness and anonymity provided by the internet and the distance provided by smartphones, the Bible projects a world in which face-to-face -face relationships are of preeminent value. We must pursue knowing each other in this way 
and knowing God in this way. Through faith, the end of this latter relationship will be knowing Jesus face to face. Today, more than ever, we need to let the Bible reorient our thinking about what it means to have a body capable of embodied holiness and a face that reflects the glory of God. The human body and the image of God. When people meet God face to face, they are changed. Sometimes this change is a physical disability, as in the case of Jacob's wounded leg. Though the progress of salvation's history, the emphasis of physical change gravitates to the face, and there is always a holistic approach to the person, both immaterial and material. The phrase embodied holiness is used to describe the event where a person's face glows a result of God's presence. In some instances, the term embodied refers to the fact that the person's face is a source of emanations. The ultimate source of the shining emanations on the face and the body of the people of God is God himself. God's presence physically changes those in his presence. This physical change in God's people reflects God's own nature and character, that is, his holiness, which refers to his eternal state of being as love, purity, righteousness, perfection, and justice, etc., Although this study focuses largely on the face, this does not dis- diminish the importance of the whole body or the Bible's concern for it. In fact, the Hebrew word can communicate either face or presence. What this study does is simply recognize that special attention is given to the face in several biblical texts throughout the Old and New Testaments. The goal of this volume is to pay careful attention to the details of the biblical data so that the text itself directs us. We will not be seeking to identify and develop every instance where people encounter God in some form or fashion. Even the book of Genesis alone contains a multitude of divine human encounters. The capacity of people to physically reflect the glory of God in their bodies, particularly in in the face, has received little attention. It is true that human body reveals God's amazing power in the sense that the body is part of a general revelation and an important form of God's self-disclosure. But what about the human body's capacity for special revelation as God's radiating glory? The lack of attention to this question is surprising, given the vast amount of literature devoted to texts such as the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, 1-9, and Paul's discussion of Moses' shining face in 2 Corinthians 3. The topic of the capacity of the body to physically reflect God's glory leads us back to the book of Genesis. In the act of creating human beings, God created them uniquely by endowing them with the image of God, Dei. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Humans have a unique role and status in all creation. Just what is bound up in the words in our image is an important question in its own right. The context directs the reader of Genesis to think primarily of dominion or the exercise of king-like stewardship, stewardship over the earth and its creatures. Beyond the capacity for image bearers to exercise dominion, much broader theological issues need to be considered. These include the potential for growth in the likeness to God, communion with God, and collaboration in God's creative and loving activities. In addition to this, we might add that there is something unique about the physical nature of humans 
that allows their faces and bodies to become vessels of the divine nature. The human body, and especially the face of a person, is able to communicate one's relationship with God. One recent pastoral treatment of this topic states, Our relationship with God is profoundly connected to to what is happening inside of us, in our bodies. As we will see, the overwhelming testimony of the Bible is is that the face is the essence of a person. The Old Testament reflects another interest in the human face alongside our interest in reflecting one's relationship with God. There are several passages that describe the human face as simply an outward expression of internal demeanor, emotional or intellectual, without direct reference to God. It is interesting that the ESV study notes connect Ecclesiastes 8.1 to both types of passages. The ESV suggests that the shining face of Ecclesiastes 8.1, a man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face changed, is similar to the angelic face of Stephen, Acts 6.15. Such a relationship would mean that Ecclesiastes 8.1 is directly related to our study of the themes exemplified by Moses in Exodus. But the ESV also suggests that Ecclesiastes 8.1 is related to Proverbs 4.8-9, a passage in which personified Lady Wisdom places a garland on the head of those who honor her. If this connection is true, then Ecclesiastes 8.1 is not drawing from the shining face texts and traditions about Moses, including the ironic blessing of number 6. Michael Eaton comments on this difficulty. The shining face generally speaks of favor. Number 625. Here it speaks of the wise man who is visibly gracious in his demeanor, and as the next phrase says, whose gentleness is obvious in his facial expression. Wisdom literature draws from general revelation, truth found in the world and life, and special revelation, truth found only through divine communication. It is not always clear which one is source. And Ecclesiastes 8.1 is no exception. The shining face of those who come into the very presence of God are not incidental facts of biblical narratives. Paul's second pastoral letter to the Corinthian church draws from the narrative of Moses' shining face to encourage that congregation to have hope, boldness, and knowledge of the work of God's Spirit who is transforming those who are with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. Second Corinthians 3.18, tracing the theme of the embodied holiness and the shining face reflecting God's glory is both theologically rich and pastorally relevant to a world that needs the message of hope and God's love through the redeeming work of Christ. The book of Revelation has several scenes in which a glowing face or body appears. In the first instance, the book opens with a heavenly vision of a son of man. Revelations 1.13, which whose face was like the sun shining in full strength. Revelation 1.16, this depiction of the risen Lord Jesus establishes him as the one who fulfills all the promises made about a coming and glorious son of man whose dominion is everlasting. Daniel 7.13-14. The second and third instances of the shining face in the book of Revelation are more mysterious. In the second scene, a mighty angel comes down from heaven. This angel is described in terms very similar to those described in Jesus in chapter 1, to Jesus in chapter 1. Specifically, this mighty angel has a face like the sun, 
Revelation 10.1, in the third instance, another angel comes down from heaven and the earth is made bright with his glory. Revelation 18.1. The identity of the angel in some of the scenes from Revelation is rather mysterious. The angel may be Jesus himself or a special angel dedicated to carry out his mission and spread his messages. Nevertheless, it is very clear in the scene from the New Jerusalem in Revelation that the body of the risen Lord Jesus radiates a glorious light. John reports that I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Revelation 21, 22-23. The theme of meeting God face to face stretches across the Bible from Adam, Adam to Moses to Jesus, and more as more and more information is revealed through the progress of revelation, those who encounter God face to face reveal that they have been changed in changed. And in, in the Old Testament the shining face is intimately tied to the revelation of God at the establishment of the Mosaic covenant at Mount Sinai. This is implication that echoed into the very warp and woof of life for Israel. In the New Testament, Jesus appears on the mountain as a new Moses with a face that shone like the sun at the, transfig at the transfiguration, Matthew 17.2. This too had implications that worked its way into very life of the early Christian community, as testified by Paul's pastoral theology in 2 Corinthians 3-4. Last, Jesus' shining face appears in the description of the eternal state as the light of the new Jerusalem. If we were to make connections between these disparate, both significant threads in the biblical storyline, we need to draw from the discipline of biblical theology. The Angel of the Lord and Jesus As our study progresses through the Old Testament, we will see that the theme of meeting God face-to-face overlaps substantially with the difficult figure often identified as the angel of the Lord. What the study presupposes is that the angel of the Lord might be understood to be one of the divine persons of the Trinity, although each instance requires a consideration of context. For our purposes, one question is worthy of short consideration in this introduction. What does the appearance of Yahweh as the form of a man have to do with Jesus? First, the appearance of Yahweh in the form of a man is not exclusive to the book of Exodus. For example, the angel of Judges 13.6 is also called God, Elohim. The unusual angel of the Lord also appears in other Old Testament texts, such as 2 Samuel 24, 16-17, 1 Chronicles 21-15, Isaiah 63.9. In each case, the angel displays characteristics that are not like any other angel or being or being specifically this angel of the lord receives worship or is actually referred to as god in some way the appearance of yahweh as a man-like figure appears not only in our text about jacob's wrestling match but in joshua 5:13, judges 13:6, zechariah 1 through 8. this angel is often depicted as carrying a sword in his his hand such as Numbers 22-23, Joshua 5-13, Judges 6-22-23, 1 Chronicles 21-16, where it is clear that the angel of the Lord is actually Yahweh rather than a created angelic messenger. These are best understood as a theophany or Christophany.
There are two important qualifiers to make. First, not all appearances of the angel of the Lord are clearly Yahweh. The discussion of these difficulties coalesce around two competing theories. Although there is no widely accepted taxonomy or very, uh, of the various positions, the representation theory emphasizes that the angel of the Lord is a messenger who is distinct from Yahweh and speaks on Yahweh's behalf. This approach favors the historical background of the ancient Near East, perhaps to the point of overwhelming the biblical text itself. The competing identity theory is exposed by my study and focuses on the similarity and equality between the angel of the Lord and Yahweh. Some biblical narratives leave the identity of the angel of the Lord ambiguous as to whether it is Yahweh himself or Yahweh working through a special created creature, angel. The second qualifier is that the only reference to the angel of the Lord in the New Testament is in Stephen's speech in Acts 7. One scholar concludes connecting Christ and the angel of Yahweh does not seem to be concerned uh, to be a concern of New Testament writers. However, the early church and theologians throughout church history have tried to make such connection. Such a connection. A Christophany is related to a theophany. Because it is an instance where Yahweh appears in the form of human, a human. Those instances in which the angel of the Lord is understood to be divine are also understood to be Christophanies or appearances of the pre-incarnate Christ. Theologically, this is the work of the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. In the work of the triune God, the person of the Father sends the person of the Son and the person of the Holy Spirit empowers. This is true not only in the New Testament, but all of the Old Testament. When we read Exodus within the context of the entire Old Testament, the best theological term to describe Yahweh's appearance as a man is Christos, Christophany. A good case can also be made for using the term angel of the Lord to describe Yahweh's appearance as a man with Jacob's because with Jacob because this term is used in so many other Old Testament texts. Other closely related names used use for Yahweh's appearance include the angel of the presence, the angel of God, and the angel of the covenant. There are two key theological points to make about the angel of the Lord who wrestled with Jacob. First, at this point in the redemptive history, the Son of God had not become Jesus, the God-man. This narrative in Genesis 32-33 is an example of the Son of God taking on the form of a human, but this form of a human is not the same as taking on the human nature as he did when Jesus was a baby in Mary's womb. What Yahweh did when he wrestled with Jacob was temporary rather than permanent was temporary rather than permanent. Second, the same Son of God who appeared to Jacob and to others throughout the history of Israel is the very same person of the Trinity who took on human flesh and was born to Mary to Mary as Jesus. Jesus is now and forevermore united to a human nature. The divine nature taking on the human nature is the hypostatic union. I suggest in this study that those who worship Jesus today are worshiping the same person of the Trinity that Jacob wrestled with at the river of Jabbok.